Greetings and Happy New Year, listeners. That's our first time saying Happy New Year because last year around this time we launched the project, so it was more of a hello than a Happy New Year. So this year you get a Happy New Year. I am Ben Beharin. Feliz Año Nuevo. I am Jay Goldberg. And Jay, we're going to CES next week. And as we just talked about, it's uh, one of the worst ways to start the year, but it will be full of gadgetry and gizmos and a whole lot of AI, I guess. Maybe too much AI because everything will have AI. Just like a few years ago, everything had a a smart talking assistant connected to it. (laughs) What fun times. What fun times. Anyway. The, uh, we will talk about anything we see of interest, as well as the uh, range of semi-companies that we meet with. But to kick, to kick this off, we're rolling with, uh, with some, some things that Jay Goldberg would like to see. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll chime in on whether they're even remotely possible, because, even though I think what we're going to talk about is probably, and I don't know this list, that is probably not possible. Although I think I can guess one of yours. Um, so we're just going to go through, how did you say it, from least, li- most potentially likely to least likely? Is that yes. the order? Yes. All right. Okay. Right. So. So the way I think about this is I have to go. We have to go to CES next week. And I can almost predict right now what I'm going to see. And I'm not terribly excited by m- most of it. Yes. So I wanted to do sort of inverse New Year's resolutions. Not things that I'm going to do better this year, but things that I'd like all of you to do better this year. These are things I would like the world to manifest, right? In, in, Excellent. in our space. Excellent. So, right? So, and, and they are in decreasing order of, of possibility. Like some of these things are probably going to happen. Some of them are just my, my dreams. So the, f- the first one I would like to see is pretty simple. I call it clarity of direction. And I'm speaking specifically of automotive semis. I would like for automotive semis to become much clearer in 2024, right? There's all these things happening. Lots of, everybody's talking about it. Lots of players, lots of changing, changing subsystems and systems. I, I would like to understand it better. And I would like, I would like a few key pieces to fall in place so we can kind of get a better direction of where automotive semis are headed. Right. So I, 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 I agree. And I guess one, perhaps, uh, what would you, what would I say? Evidence point to this, despite all of the companies in semi who we've talked to, who we both kind of walk away still saying, I'm really not sure how much of the car you're actually doing yet. Uh, do you want to do it all or, or how much? Uh, but, but there was some news this week around, um, Mobileye that they were sitting on, a a truckload of inventory and it, right. it, it impacted their stock. And actually I was, I was thinking about that just within the context of also how hard the automotive's going to market's going to be because, you know, semis are already cyclical and this is the worst cyclical industry of perhaps any that consumes semiconductor content. And I think that was just a, a bright light shined on this challenge because, you know, mobile is not going to be the only one that tries to upbuild and then ramp down and sit on inventory. That's probably going to be common, but but I, I agree with you within that scope of like what's the strategy because it doesn't feel like really any of them have 
a really good strategy other than OEMs are knocking on the door saying, I need semis. And they're like, okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There's the cyclical trend, right? We spent all last year, 2023, worried about when our PCs, when our smartphones going to turn. Right. And they they did, right? And But just as they were starting to improve, the automotive industrial analog part of semis turned down. And I, yeah. I, I don't think most of us were surprised by that. It was all inevitable, but it, it is it is pretty brutal. Um, Mobile, I warned yesterday, uh, right before the holidays, a couple of others were warned as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of unsold stuff out in the out in the channel, a lot of unsold inventory in the channel. But that's that's semis, right? It's cyclical. We'll we'll get through this. Um, but even beyond that, like I'm really interested in microcontrollers, right? This is the like the forgotten part, the forgotten workhorse. It's like these parts that for the most part we don't talk about much. You know, everyone's talking about AI and robots and smartphones, but like microcontrollers are everywhere and in everything. And I think there's some big changes taking place in the microcontroller land, right? The big vendors, TI, NXP, SD Micro, Renaissance, have big, big ambitions for getting more of their microcontrollers in cars and sort of tying them together in ways that we've never seen before, moving from subsystems or discrete components into actual systems. That's fun. It's interesting. Uh, some big changes there. And then there's the whole ADAS digital cockpit space where you have Mobileye and Qualcomm and a bunch of others sort of vying for that spot. And I I, I think we're going to get more clarity this year on how that market is going to develop and like how real it is because, you know, it's pretty important to Qualcomm, but anybody who's been around automotive semis for a while knows that every few years, things sound more exciting than the reality actually turns out to be. And so I think getting some clarity around that will be really interesting and sort of understanding how the big auto OEMs are actually going to deploy their semi strategies. And that's, I think mm. we're, we're going to see a lot of uh, like, look, all I'm asking for here is clarity, right? And I think we're going to get that this year. Uh, before we jump to the next topic, do, do you think I, something I've been thinking about lately is like, might we see, and I almost wonder if something like this needs to happen but but might we see more uh, partnerships between semi companies? Because I think we could probably agree acquisitions are unlikely. With we we've seen this not go well. But the problem is not everybody doesn't really control the whole stack, and so it kind of feels like there might be some handholding better together in the automotive space that that could actually be productive without, you know, doing a whole, like, I need to acquire this BU or whatever, but let's just work together because you've got this piece, I've got this piece, let's tie it together. I, I don't know. I just, it feels very um, completely disaggregated at this point. Maybe maybe Qualcomm and NXP could team up. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> and I was, like, about to say, like, the one that we thought should have happened because it would have filled this gap almost perfectly <laughs> Maybe they'll, you know, knock on each other's doors and have a little hurrah, have the whole system. <laughs> no. uh, but but it is a really good point. Like it, it, it kind of has to has to take place. The big digital players are going to want to work more closely with the analog, the microcontroller yeah. makers. Yeah, like There's why only- hasn't somebody like partnering with TI and saying, "Look, they'll provide the analog book. I'll provide the digital. We got your whole system. Here you go." Yeah, I don't know. Okay, let's go on to number two. Number two. I call freedom for the people, right? Oh and this, by this, 
I'm just getting started. For, by this, I mean, I would like to see some of the big uh, spinoffs start to really come into their own, right? So we have uh, Mobileye coming out of Intel. That's making good progress. We have Altera coming out of Intel as well. And they, they are now, as of January 1st, a, a standalone entity. They're still part of Intel, but they've said ultimately it's going to get it's going to get an IPO. And I think this year we're going to see that entity really create a new identity, right? And it's not even we don't even know if it's called Altera. Like that's just, it's the whatever the acronym that Intel uses to talk about the programmable group probably is going to end up being called Altera again. But I think it'd be really interesting to see that take shape. And then the other one I I would like to see uh, gain more independence is ARM. Right, ARM is still what, 75, 80% owned by SoftBank. I think we're going to see a couple secondaries this year and we're going to see more independence from them and start to see ARM really come into its own. And, you know, it's like, like it's, they've kind of got sleepy when they were in SoftBank and now they're public and they're going to start really, we're going to see really what they are, what they're made of. Hmm. So, so more spinoffs. Okay. Okay, so I mean, I I don't think I would I would put ARM in the same spinoff bucket as Altera and Mobileye, and I guess this raises then a couple of other questions. So I don't I well, you can tell me if you agree with this or not. Um, I don't know if Intel would have done that if if they weren't needing to preserve capital smartly, but for the sake of argument. Let's just let's just say it was part of the plan. I, I wonder if we'll see more of that. Like, might we see more semi companies spinoffs parts yeah. of their BUs? And in that case, like that's not. I mean, again, startups are hard. Semi startups are hard. There's there's a few of them that are getting some traction and been talked about, but it's hard. But this idea that you know the the mothership spins one off into its own entity is actually not a bad way to foster other elements of the business generate capital differently, maybe have, you know, again, one of these partnerships. So I, I guess that's what made, that's what made this point made me think of too, is free up more people from other semiconductor businesses that, that would be well being maybe its own PL, Right. Right. I, so I'm coming at this very much with my wall street hat on where, you know, the street sort of modern, modern dogma around the, corporate governance is you want companies to be fairly isolated. We don't, you know, we don't want these big conglomerates. Uh, there's value in having isolation and having companies, shareholders and employees directly aligned. And when you have a sort of standalone company that's on, on its own and not part of a big giant, interesting things can happen. And so there, there, there are many others, right? And I think it's, it's particularly interesting in Altera's case because Altera was once this very, was the dominant FPGA provider. And they got acquired by Intel and it kind of, it lost its edge, right? And I, I, I've talked to people at Intel who, you know, they'll freely admit this. It sort of, it became very focused, Altera became very focused on things that Intel cares about, data center, mm. you know, and a and little bit of automotive, a little bit of PC. But it's sort of, FPGAs are much, like they, they, you can use FPGAs in every end market. And I think it'll be really interesting if they can now start to go after that again. But there's others. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going going on in Japan. Like we we did that episode with Professor Metzler talking about right. Japan, all these big Japanese electronics companies that look like now they're trying to be more uh, shareholder friendly 
and spinning some of these some of their entities off and sort of rationalizing their product portfolios is going to I, I think it's going to happen and it's going to be it's going to be fun. There'll be some interesting companies come out of that. Do, do you think just spitballing as a part of perhaps a prediction? Is there any any semiconductor company in the top five other than Intel that you think might make some make some sense to to let it be you free? In the top five, no, <laughs> nobody jumps to mind um, because they're all pretty pretty disciplined, right? Right. Right, the one that has the broadest portfolio after Intel is probably AMD. Yeah, another yeah, nothing. They just strike me from them getting Xilinx is an is a integration play. Yeah, they're not spinning that off anytime soon, and and it'll be interesting to see what they can do with it if they're going to repeat Intel's mistakes or if they can isolate it enough and let that company thrive as well. Um, but you know, there's some interesting. There's still some interesting other things out there. I think there's some interesting stuff in the in the RF and analog space, right? We have mm. Corvo and Skyworks both have 60, 70% of their businesses handset focused and the other 30, 40% is non-handset focused. Uh, I think there is room for those to split. I think, I, I think it'd be a really interesting combination of use. If you combine those two companies and then split them into a handset side and a non-handset side, mm. um, right? That's like, I, I, that, that could... Right, I've I've worked in that space, and I know that there's just like some pretty significant dissynergies around having those two businesses under the same roof. They're just very, very mm. different in nature, volume, and pricing, and margin expectations. And mm. so, s- splitting those two would be could unlock a lot of value. So in those in those examples, I guess because you you know whether or not they're they're synergistic, it doesn't necessarily the 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 strategy of of business or revenue diversification doesn't doesn't matter as much like it doesn't one doesn't offset the other in one of those that that's been the theory and both those companies have been talking about reducing their reliance on handsets for right. 10 years 15 years right. Right. and yet the the share of not handset revenue has pretty much stayed unchanged throughout that period right. and they've all they've both made acquisitions like so I think it's maybe time for them to reconsider the strategy, right? Let's let's take a different approach because diversification just isn't playing out the way it should. Sure. Because once you you sure. acquire stuff and it, it, you still have those disenergies under it, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, number number three. Number three, I would like us to arrive at the land of milk and honey. I would like us to enjoy a time of abundance in which. Semiconductors and deep tech companies in the United States can get funded, right? I would like I would like a time of a f- abundance of funding, venture funding for this greatly overlooked sector. Interesting. We we have clearly worked our way up the curve of likelihood or down the curve of likelihoodness. Well, and what's and what's wild is I don't know if you saw some of the stats that came out today that venture funding is down as a whole this year, which I don't know. I don't know if that was more because of uh, discipline or um, a shift in thesis, which happens obviously now amongst AI. Um, but that included software companies who most of them love to fund because hardware and in this case, semiconductor companies are, are capitally capital intent. So if it's, if it's the software side down, I wonder, I wonder if anybody kind of catches catches the wind of uh, 
of what the opportunity here is for uh, for capital in in startups. Yeah, so venture funding was definitely down last year, in large part just because of macro conditions, right? You can get five percent, you know, putting your money in the bank. Right. Right. Why risk it on venture? Right. Uh, but but also more importantly, I think we had a we had a it was the hangover from the 2021 2022 boom days, right? And so everything had to scale back. But even setting that aside, like the, the core problem is there are a thousand venture capitalists in this country, give or take, and there are 10 of them, maybe, who can credibly say that they invest in deep tech and hardware and semis. And I, I think we're going to, we've already started to see a big reduction in the number of venture funds in the US institutions. I think that that trend will continue, but I do think it is long overdue that we start to see an increase on the hardware side of it, right? And, and it doesn't take much to, you know, if you're starting at a base of 10, you can grow 50% if you had five funds that are actually doing this stuff, right? And so, and and, and maybe it's not from traditional venture, maybe it's something else. I would like to see the, the big corporates themselves start to get more active in investing in new areas. And I think we're starting to see that. I've seen a few big fundings in the last three, four weeks from semi companies sort of cobbling together venture rounds for some of these companies. So uh, I think this is achievable, but, but, you know, we've, I've been, I've been preaching this for a while and it's, it may take a little bit while longer before we get there. I mean, do you, but do you think the, I mean, I, I, I wrestle with this just, you know, I've, I've tried to help semiconductor startups raise money in, in the same way that you have. It's, it's a very tough environment. I mean, even a number of PE firms that I talked to sounded super heavy, I think at the end of the day, we're just really concerned about the level of capital. Um, and then to some degree, concerns about whether or not this a company could be, you know, acquired as an exit given federal funding issues or um, investor pressure. It, it, it was just weird. Like it was some interesting conversations that very, very different than doing due diligence on like a software startup, right? Well, yeah, I think U.S. venture has lost the muscle for doing hardware investing, right? So, right? Silicon Valley, it, it doesn't really do a lot of silicon, at least venture silicon anymore. People have just forgotten how to do it. These firms have forgotten how to do it. The partners who did the big semi-deals in the 70s, 80s, and 90s have, you know, are all, all retired or emeritus status. So, but it's that doesn't mean it's not doable. It just means that some of these companies have to relearn how to do it, or new funds have to pop up who can do it, um, right? It's 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 still possible, right? It's still very much possible. And I, I think a lot of the concerns they have around capital intensity, exits, go to market, those haven't been solved, but a lot of them are are very very different. The situation has changed considerably, right? You can, I mean, there we we know uh, you know a dozen companies who have design pretty serious chips with tiny teams, like 10, 20 people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And so it's it, like the cost of developing a chip has come down significantly. You still have to deal with license, IP licenses and fab costs, but those are, you know, later stage problems. You can actually get to a product with 20 people in a year, you know, a few million dollars. So it's, it's, it's not as easy as two guys in a garage starting a software company, but once you get to the growth rounds B and C, the capital needs aren't that different. It's just the the checks are not going to build a giant sales team. They're going to the foundries. And I, anyway, I, I think we should, you know, 
in the back of my head, I've have, I've have I've a plan to do a, a venture semis venture episode later this year. So we'll come back to it. It's a it's a big topic. I think it's in it's the conditions are much better than people realize. And I think there's a huge opportunity out there if if we can start doing this right. Hmm. I'll convince you. I, I sense, just, I, I sense yeah. your skepticism. I'll, I'll convince I just, you. It's, uh, I, th- I think it's just because I've, I've taken some, I've taken some face punches. <laughs> you and me both, brother. These companies, and so I'm like, you, you, I don't think anybody wants to do this. Like, so I mean, and so so we're meeting with um, a company that I don't know how many people have gotten attention with at CES called Grok, and um, and and they they actually, I mean, raise what feels like just because I know a couple of their investors, somewhat normal institution. Like it didn't come from Samsung, like a company we like to talk about, which is a serious amount of money or institutions, right. Or random sovereign funds. Like it felt like it was somewhat uh, a normal venture, but I, I just, there's just not a lot that you can talk to where traditional VC, I guess, like people that we know uh, touch the space. True. People haven't been doing it, but that doesn't mean we can't, right? This is the land of innovation. So let's let's innovate around this. I believe me, I'm I'm right there with you, brother. I've I've I feel your pain. I've felt it, I've taken those face punches too. Uh but something's gotta change, right? Because if you look at any long-term projection of technology revenue growth for the next 10 years, half of that's gonna come from hardware and half's gonna come from software. Right, but ninety percent of the investing is on the software side. For the last decade, ninety percent of the of the investing has gone to the software side. If we're going to get the revenue growth, that other half of the revenue pool is out there waiting to be invested in. And I, I, I think that there will for the there is the opportunity for people to to jump in that and invest. I mean, it's it's going to be different, right? But all of venture is changing, right? So I yeah. think this is just one more avenue in which it has to change. Right. I mean, it'd be great. I, I agree with you. It'd be, it'd be great if we could see capital really infuse the space. I mean, I think a lot of companies need it. Um, but yeah, it's just been a weird, a weird couple of years. So, okay. More on that one later on a venture and uh semis episode. All right. We're on number four. Four. Okay. Here we go. Number, number four. <laughs> this one I have, I call not at all provocatively, I want to watch the world burn. <laughs> I really, really want to see the way in which we talk about AI and the whole AI market just change. I'm, I, I, this, is, this is a topic I've been thinking about for a long time. I've been circling around it on some of these episodes. Like, and, and it was over the holidays, I really clear, crystallized my thinking about like, how we talk about AI. And it's got to change. Like, we got to stop. Like, it's just like... I think there's a misconception about what AI is and, yep. and right. And what really, really got to me was my pattern recognition alarms have all started going off because AI right now feels a lot like crypto did a few years ago. And I can already feel the hate, the ads coming at me <laughs> online, but like what, what was right in both cases, you have an algorithmic innovation, right? You have, right. An algorithmic innovation, which opens the door to new ways to solving old problems, right? In AI, in, in crypto, that was the blockchain, and it created this idea of trustless networks. In 
in AI, it's, it is the large language model, which allows for things like GPT and, and large language models, right? Very similar dynamic, right? You also then have like this big explosion of experimentation, all kinds of interesting companies doing interesting things with really, really smart people doing interesting things. And, and believe me, I'll be the first to admit that crypto is 99% worthless, but for a period there, it was it was exciting because every day there'd be some smart technical person coming up with some really interesting technical solution. Right. And and we're seeing the same in AI now. It's an exciting time to be here. I think both <laughs> have big questions about what is the use case for this, right? Crypto never really had a good answer for that. AI, I think, uh, is struggling, right? And And that then leads to this problem where when the mainstream press starts to talk about AI, either of these topics, it tends to get very like overblown, right? I mean, for, for one thing, you both have like pseudo religions popping up alongside both of them or pseudo philosophies popping up alongside both of them. But then you have sort of people getting talking about them in really overblown terms. Like we're going to reinvent money. That's what crypto is always talking about. We're going to reinvent, what does that even mean? And like in AI, we have all these concerns about AGI, taking over the world, like everybody just needs to take a breath, right? And, and then you have this sort of weird thing where you have very minute technical debates getting blown way out of proportion. In, in crypto, there was this whole thing around the block size war, I mean, there are books written about it, and there's proof of stake versus proof of work, right? And in AI, we have all these different models. There's Llama and, and Mamba and like a new one every day. And like, there are probably a thousand people in the world who really need to know the difference between all these models. We don't need to really be reading about it in sort of general press. The rest of us don't. Like, I'm, I'm happy to read what Dylan Patel writes about it. I don't really need to know much more than that. And I think that gets lost. Like, people see there's a debate in, in, in AI, and so it's going to, you know, get all over the news. But for the most part, it doesn't really matter beyond the, the people, the actual practitioners. Now, of course, there's one big difference between the two which is that crypto uh, made it really easy to let individuals and buy crypto. I don't want to say invest, but buy crypto. And in AI, that's not possible. It's all institutional money going in. And so crypto got just completely wrecked by all the charlatans and the fraudsters and the con men. We don't exactly see that in AI, but there, there is still some of it taking place. It's just much harder for the average individual to to participate. But there's still like, I mean, you look at some of these valuations and some of these deals that have been done in the last few weeks, they're just crazy valuations, right? Yeah. Pre-product companies getting tens, hundreds of millions of dollars are just crazy valuations. Like, you know, it's, it's the institutions who are getting, I don't want to say scammed, but there is overblown valuations taking place in cryptos in, in AI as well. And so right. it's just, it's just like, I'm going to try really, really hard to, to be very careful how I talk about AI this year. It's going to be everywhere. Um, yeah. But I think it's really yeah. important that we distinguish between like what's actually new and innovative and what's just like using a slightly different software algorithm, something we've been doing for years anyway. Right. I, I, it's a good point. It, it's actually something that I thought about as well. In fact, I almost I almost said something. And, and you know where we're at, right? Just in this general... I hate to use the Gartner hype cycle, but it's true. Something goes through and then it, a term gets overused. But but in very much like crypto and, and to some degree, 
where we were with these smart assistants. I mean, that like yeah. went crazy. Everything had a smart assistant. I had a toothbrush with a smart <laughs> with Alexa in it. Who who needs a toothbrush with Alexa? I I don't know, but it was there. Oral B made one. I got it. Had a media check chip. It was it was amazing. Right. You know, right. who needs that? But so, but I do think that we tend to. Um, and I don't love this term, but it's the only one I can come with, but there is a, there is an AI washing that's going to happen. You're just going to have everybody use it, throw it in, whether it is or not. And unfortunately that muddies the water because then you're kind of like, well, once it's all got AI, I don't know what, I don't know what AI is, right? I don't even know what the feature I care about is. There's very little pull when something gets, gets overused. And, and I, and I do fear, I do fear that's going to happen very heavily this year yes i for one am so rooting I, for that i for one cannot wait for the trough of disillusionment yes me too me too for 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 like you said the world to burn the world to burn so anyway that that's going to happen but it's not this year so unlikely to agree with you unlike very unlikely for 24 but but that's going to inevitably happen there will be a flaming fire of ai falling to the ground yes okay yes number five. Number, number five number five which is a, a chinese term that roughly means something that's unbelievable or inconceivable and what i would really like here is for u.s china chip tensions to go down oh. <laughs> now that that is a whopper of an unlikely man. So I said, I mean, like, yeah, you you weren't even joking when you said like to least likely. We went to like probably impossible. As, but I agree, that would be great. Like, this is this this is the smartest thing that that an industry could do, realizing that this is globally dependent on each other, and we need to work together. But <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Oh. oh yeah, I, I, I was I was doing a lot of reading on Chinese chip companies over the holidays because I'm working on some projects, and there's like all this interesting stuff here that's taking place, but there's like that shadow hanging over all of it. Like I don't even know how to talk about some of these companies because, like, I don't know if they're gonna be in business in in a year or like I I you know, mm-hmm. and and like well. We, we, and I, and I think part of it too, like you see this tension that's happening with Nvidia. AMD is not saying it, nor is Intel, but like, you know, they'd like to do business with this country it would actually help their revenue, their bottom right. line. Right. And so there's a lot of companies who, you know, again, everybody we've talked about, Marvell, right? It's, et cetera. Like they want to be doing business with China and unfortunately they can't, right? So it's actually hurting revenue growth dollars of these U.S. tech companies, but, you know, we're... I just yeah. don't know how this gets resolved, you know, yeah. in any, in any fashion. No, it's, it's a tricky one. I, I got interviewed by a Chinese tech site a couple of weeks ago and they asked me like, which, which Chinese company they thought would be the, sort of the best position to navigate the, the sanctions. And I said, I said, look, the, the, the biggest threat to the U S sanctions is not a Chinese company. It's not the Chinese government. It's U S companies lobbying against it. Right. That's the biggest. Yep. And, and I, I, I felt I was really conflicted saying that to them because I, I believe that's true. It's the truth. But here I am telling a Chinese, Chinese news site about it. And I was convinced like 
I was going to walk out my door and they put a black hood over my head and I'd wake up and get my. You need to get censored. Yeah, that's it. It's over. You can't go to China anymore. You're done. I'm not worried about going to China. I'm worried about. You're on the list. I'm worried about like not being able to fly in the U.S. Yeah, you're on the lists. Even the U.S., man. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a very, very tricky problem. You know, and obviously like, so, so, okay. So let's, let's just unwind this then. So in an election year, does, does, does those relations get worse or potentially better? I think we know the answer to that question. I'm just wondering if, well, yeah. And then it's down to like, what is the new administration going to do? And if things go south, it could get very bad. (laughs) Very, very bad. Right. I mean, unfortunately, we live in a very divided country that seemed to only be able to agree on one thing. Let's get angry at China. Everybody seems on board with that. Any country other than ourselves and (laughs) Europe and Israel. (laughs) Well. Maybe just the UK, maybe not even any other parts of Europe. <laughs> I it's so I think it's I think I think you're absolutely right that it's an election year and that is not going to help my wish come true. Um, it's just going to be too easy to throw pot shots at China. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I but like on that, like I wonder, OK, so does the whatever chips act slash technological the pipe dream that is semiconductor independence for any country like is that even a talking point for biden assuming he runs and whoever becomes like could that be in it like is that going to get a lot of attention i wonder i i think it will i think it will resonate with a certain certain voter group I, i think what what is interesting about it as a political tool is that certain people will like what they hear yeah. and it alienates almost nobody. Mm. Right. You, you can say that you can go into any district in America and say, Hey, I'm going to get tough on Chinese chips. Right. Nobody's, nobody's going to object to that except, you know, I can't like uh, Santa Clara and San Diego, maybe. Right. Those are the only two people who are going to say, wait, wait a second. Everywhere else, everyone's going to be all on board with that. And so right. it's an easy as a, just as a political mechanism it's 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 very easy for both sides to do um well and i guess i wonder too like wrapped into that like let's just say that a talking point becomes ai and regulatory ai and something that's on someone's agenda then i wonder if the the second layer of that onion is well we got to deal with silicon right we got to make sure we control that so that it's our ai is better than everybody else's absolutely absolutely we're there's gonna be all kinds of nonsense talk about ai and the implication will be, oh, we got to beat China because they're going to win the AI arms race. And I'll tell you, if AI actually becomes a political item this this season, I'm going to stop reading the news. I'm just going to go live in a cave. But I, I build a shelter. We can build a shelter on my land, Jay. I'm going to build a Faraday cage. No electrical signals allowed. Uh, well, I mean... Toward the middle to the last half of this year, there might be some very spicy episodes of the circuit about uh, how the political nominees are talking about semiconductors. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll both be on the list. <laughs> the no-fly list. <laughs> Captured. All right. Any So just to throw it out, any uh, random prediction you think? 
some speculatory crazy acquisition that could happen. <laughs> Intel spins out Foundry. What do we got? Oh, I hadn't thought of that one. That one's uh, that one. I think will that's uh, a that's a few years out. But yeah, not this year. Yeah, not this year for sure. Yeah, I I think I think there's still a couple semis deals to be done. I think so too. I think analog, analog yep. industrial. There are a lot of small mid cap stocks. I think those will consolidate more. I, it, that's yep. that seems. I mean, I, I've been talking about that for a while, but I think I think that starts to happen this year. Everybody has the big companies have a lot of cash. Um, there's just uh, you know, is like the 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 amount of private equity interest in private and small cap analog semis is just huge, mm-hmm. especially if any of them have any exposure to defense military spending. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, I know I know a few dozen companies in that space, and they're all like having to beat off private equity with a stick because yeah, there's there's just a lot of interest in deals, and there's there's room to consolidate. Um, so we'll, we'll see something happen there. Right, but probably not anything within, call it the top, maybe even the top 10. There won't be any mergers there, maybe, but those folks probably buy, probably could pass approval to buy some of these companion, smaller, maybe less than $10 billion chip companies. Yeah, I mean, from what I can tell talking to the M&A people is everybody's worried about regulatory approval. Right. Uh, somewhat in the US, but especially in China. Like, they're just, like, there's no point in proposing a deal if you just know it's not going to be right. from China. Right. So, so we've had a few get through China at all. Yeah, we've had a few get through. So, barring you know further massive deterioration in U.S.-China relations, which will happen because it's an election year, but let's say that doesn't happen, maybe we start to see deal deals, larger deals pick up later in the year. Um, I can think of a few a few targets out there. Sure. But other other than that, it's you know it's it's analog industrial. It's not. I don't think it's the big digital players. Do you think any any of the common risk name risk five names we talk about get acquired, or they just run their course, either successful or fade fade away? I think we see consolidation in startup data center silicon, right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's risk five or ARM or or accelerator CPU GPU whatever you know there's there's a there's a lot of companies in that space and I don't think uh, all of them have I I I I think we will see there there will be fewer of them at the end of the year than there are right now right I agree I don't I don't, I don't want to name names but you know who I'm thinking of all of you know who I'm thinking yeah. of so <laughs> we're 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 not obvious but also not obvious <laughs> all right Good, uh, good one to revisit for uh, if case anything happens uh, this year. Uh, good one to revisit. So thanks for listening, everybody. We do hope you had a happy holidays and are off to a happy new year. Uh, I do imagine, since I know many people who listen to our podcast, that we you will be at CES. So I guess we feel for you there as well. And uh, we will do a recap episode on interesting stuff we saw from CES next week. So thanks for listening. Until next time. Yep. If you see us, I'll be I'll be in this hat or some Chicago booth hat. So come stop and say hello. I'd love to meet you all face to face. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends and I look forward we look forward to talking to you more and I particularly in particular look forward to ranting at you more. <laughs> in in twenty twenty four. Thanks a lot everybody.